NFL fan in England. My name's Lawrence Boss and I'm NFL fan in England. You join us for our first ever interview with John Horton, wide receiver for the London Monarchs. I hope you enjoy. I'm here talking to a living legend, a London Monarchs living legend, none other than wide receiver John Horton. Firstly, how are you and your family doing over there in Holland? And how is COVID-19 affecting your daily life? Hey, Lawrence. I, first of all, let me first say I appreciate that. That was a very nice introduction of you. I, you know, uh, I don't know about a legend and all that. I was just one part of the whole team. You know, that was a, a legendary team in itself. You know, that 91 team with Coach Kidd and the way he brought all of us together and you know, and in such a short amount of time, we had a lot less time than a normal training camp of other leagues, you know. Um, yeah, my family's doing great. I'm blessed. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm living here in, in Utrecht, right outside of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Um, I'm, I'm married. I have a 10-year-old daughter, you know. I have a, a business. Um, I'm, I'm grateful. And, and so... How, in, in obviously, here in, in England, we're now in another full national lockdown in terms of COVID. How, how is it affecting life yeah. for you in, in Utrecht? Hey, it's the same over here, Lawrence. You know, we're in the Europe. We're in Europe. Um, uh, the Netherlands is on a lockdown. My gym, I own a gym. Uh, a gym, I should, should not call it a gym. It's a personal training studio. Um, it's about 250, 300 square meters. It's a big one, but it's mostly one-on-one. -on -one. But anyway, so they've locked me down. They've shut me down. But I have also my other uh, part of my business, which is an online personal training. And of course, because of COVID, that is, that's doing pretty good. Awesome. Awesome. So let, let's, let's kind of invite our, our listeners and viewers into your backstory. So, All right. am I right? You're originally from Princeton, Indiana. Is that right? You are. You are right that I was born in Princeton, Indiana. But when I was one years old, my mother and father moved to Tucson, Arizona. So I was raised in Tucson, Arizona, the, the Southwest. Okay, and you went to Sunnyside High School, as I understand. Exactly, about, Sunnyside High School. Huh? Just about the high school and and how you first kind of found the pigskin when when did the pigskin wow. come into your life all right lawrence here we go so <laughs> so yeah i um i played american football in tucson when i was young in the mighty might leagues we call it you know we have organized american football kind of like what they have for soccer football you know kids teams clubs and stuff and i played that's how i started probably about 10 years old playing in that. And I was okay. I was pretty decent. Then I went to junior high school and I became somewhat pretty much pretty good, I will say. And then I ran into a man that came into my life when my father left, uh, like a big brother program. And he had played professional football in the NFL. His name was Jabari. And um, you know, the we were talking about it earlier, the situation, the plight of uh, <laughs> Hispanics, people of color in the United States, you know, it's kind of, there's no excuses, you know, it is a great country, but it also has its drawbacks and it's hard for a person 
of color to, to make it. So basically what I did, I was in the gangs, but Jabari, he pulled me out of the gangs and said, listen, you can do something with yourself. You're pretty good in football. I'll coach you. You hang out with me. You stay out of the streets. And so this man basically saved my life. And I, I've said it before many times through my career that this man, he took me out to the park and he taught me how to be a wide receiver. So by the time I got to high school, I was scoring touchdowns and I was dominating. So I got a scholarship to play football at the University of Arizona. So, yeah. So to talk to us about how, where did that kind of, that route into becoming a wide receiver come about? Was that, you said, say this That's was Jabari. That was Jabari. That was Jabari. I'm telling you, before that, I was mostly a running back slash wide receiver. But he told me, I, hey, man, you have good footwork. You can catch the ball real well. And, and, you know, I thought I looked up to him. You know, it was he came in the right time of my life when I was looking for somebody to look up to and to lean on and to learn from, as opposed to the streets and the gangs that I was running around with. You know, he, he really, he saved my life. So he kind of directed me into the wide receiver side. And then I just, that was it. I'm full blood wide receiver and back in those days I was into I don't know if you know this name um Sammy White Ahmad Rashad oh, yeah, yeah, John, yeah. John Jefferson James Lofton um Steve, Art Steve, Monk Steve, Art Monk Steve and, and uh, yeah yeah yes but Art Monk uh, as well I loved Art Monk your your guy uh but JJ John Jefferson and Butch Johnson were my heroes wow. so that's really what encouraged me. And, and I got a little successful with it and I realized, hey, I am pretty good. So that's how it just stuck. And, and the, the number 86 is... is Butch Johnson. Yeah. Butch Johnson. So that's, that's where that came from. I wanted John Jefferson, number okay. 83. But when I got to college, number 83 was taken. So okay. I took uh, Butch Johnson, 86. Cool. And you know, I have to tell you the truth, in high school, I was number 82. I got to choose number 82 because I graduated. I knew I was going to graduate high school in the year of 82. Cool, cool. I like it. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how it kind of went together. In high school, I got to choose. I knew I was graduating. So but when you get to college, you're a freshman. You know, you get a chance to pick what's left. And I remember Butch Johnson, and that was number 86. Excellent. I love, love to hear that. So... As you say, after high school, you went to was it was it was was Arizona your local university? Would you exactly myself and another guy from my high school? We played together from the Pop Warner, the Mighty Leagues, you know, all the way through high school together. His name is David Adams. Him and I were the local hometown heroes, and we from Tucson and from the same high school as well. And real quick to tell you, Lawrence. In 1981, when we were juniors in high school, real quick, we had a running back on our team who was a senior, Fred Sims. He went to Oklahoma Sooners, all right? He was a blue chipper. He was the number three tailback rated in high school in number 1981. Yeah, cool. very high caliber, Barry Switzer, Oklahoma Sooners. All these big colleges was recruiting him. And we was on a very, very good team. So we got a lot of notoriety. Although we were a running team, they could see I caught, I could catch the ball. So not only University of Arizona sought David and I out, we visited uh, Utah State University. We visited um, 
NAU. We visited a, visited a few other colleges and chose to stay home. That's right, in Tucson, Arizona. And, and was that because of the, the home comforts? Was, were you not ready yeah. to kind of fly the wing? For me, for me, Jabari went to the University of Arizona. He graduated from the University of Arizona and went to the Dallas Cowboys from there. So for me, it was a no-brainer that I wanted to go where Jabari went to. And, and follow that program. And you, you exactly. did a good thing. A, it was a, you know, in the 80s, a Pac-10 conference was dominating, had the most players in the NFL in the 80s because of our wide-open offense back then. Back then, Oklahoma, Alabama, and them were not throwing the ball in LSU like they do now. They were pound and grind, and it was big corn-fed guys. And the Pac-10, USC, UCLA, we were all fast, you know, the Marcus Allens and all this. This was our, the, the Pac-10 was the conference back then. So that and Jabari was easy for me to choose. Yeah, that makes sense. So you, you had, I must say, a really prolific career in the Pac-10 from 83 to 86. You yeah. caught 134 passes, 2,389 yards, 15 touchdowns. And, and what I think was the most remarkable thing was you were doing it at 17 yards a clip as well. Yes. Um, yes. So what, what was it like kind of adjusting going from high school and, and going into, into playing for the, for the Wildcats? What was, that, what was that adjustment like? How hard was it? It was overwhelming, to be honest with you, you know? A uh, little bit of backing up a little bit, you know, I spoke to you that I, you know, Jabari kind of replaced my father figure. So I really didn't have a man to, you know, my mother did a heck of a job and she's the, you know, she's the queen of earth. She's still alive. I love her to death. I'm a mama's boy. But, you know, at that age and puberty, you look for a man, you need a deep voice to keep you in line as hard as she would try, you know. So I really had nothing to surround me to keep me on the right path, okay? So when I got to college, you know, Lawrence, my freshman year, I didn't play, so they call it a red shirt. But I went to college at 17 years old. Normally, players go at 18, 19. Because my birthday was in December, is in December, I went as a 17-year-old playing and, you know, practicing with 21-year-olds and 22. You know, I was very shell-shocked, overwhelmed. And then I caught it. I, I played the next year, and I caught my first pass as a touchdown. My first, my first three seasons in the U of A, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, the first pass of the first game to me was a touchdown of, like you said, 60 to 80 yards plus. Wowza. Wowza. So you actually ended up leading your team in catches in 84 oh. and 85, and that put you in the top 10 in the Pac-10 both years, and you were also a second team all Pac-10 in 85. So what do you attribute that to? What Was it the coaches? Was it, you know, obviously with your, your mentor, but what, what helped you become? Coach Larry Smith. Coach Larry Smith, the, our head coach, God rest his soul, he came from West Point Academy. He's a Bo, um, Bo Schimbeckler cloney. You know, back in them days, they had a lot of coaches come from Bo Schimbeckler from Michigan, and he was one of them as well. So Coach Larry Smith is, is the 
the reason he gave me the opportunity to play in a real system like himself, you know, with his team that he coached with, you know, they were college coaches, but they all had some kind of NFL experience. So it was a very complex system. You know, a lot of people think we just run and bang heads. There's a complex strategy involved in everything. There's always a, a reaction for somebody's action, you know, and you, and all 11 on the field have to know this and react together in order for, you know what I mean? There's a lot of complexity, com, uh, it's difficult, but um, Coach Larry Smith was the man, Lawrence. I, I, I always say, if anyone asks me that doesn't understand the greatest game on earth, which is unforgivable, I always mm. say to them, it's human chess. Yeah. That, that's, sure. that's how that's I, a good, I like that. I never heard it put like that. I like that, Lawrence. That's a good one, man. So Definitely. You, you had a number of um, colleagues at Arizona that went on to the NFL. Chuck Cecil, the safety with the Packers, and Vance Johnson, uh, a fellow wide receiver, who went on to actually catch seven passes in, in three different Super Bowls from John Elway. Um, yeah. What are some of the things that you remember from some of these colleagues that, that at the time, did you see them being NFL ready and, and kind of what did you think about those that did get get there? Yeah, I mean, from the University of Arizona, I think you mean the players that I played with. I The names you, you, um, you named a few, but there was more in there that was more connected with me. And one of them was Byron Evans, the linebacker that played for the Philadelphia Eagles for like six to seven years. Um, Vance was a year older than me, Vance Johnson, and we weren't and he was a running back in college. So he, yeah, he was a converted running back to wide receiver because he was the Pac-10 long jump champion. He was a, he was fast. Okay. Um, let me see some of the other guys, Ricky Hunley. Okay. This is now, he's now got a coaching position with the university of Arizona. You know, I had players like this and I tell you what I always remember were the players on the other teams, believe it or not, you know, uh, there was, a. Uh, a running back, I watched Marcus Allen, okay? I saw Marcus move. I saw um, Jeff Cooper. I don't think you know that name. He was a wide receiver from USC. Uh, do you remember Reggie Roby, the punter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, from Miami, massive, whatever. He was from, Massive legs. Yes, and he, he was from the University of Iowa. He was from the University of Iowa, Lawrence. And we, the University of Iowa used to play this offense where the tight ends a double tight end set, but they would stand up because they was over six foot eight. And they had these big corn fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Iowa was dominating back in the 80s. And uh, I remember as a freshman thinking, oh, my God. And then Roby came out. They said the punter. And I thought, this dude is a defensive lineman. And he kicked that ball. He punted that ball so high, it went out of the stadium, above the lights, and drop back down. And these are the players that I remember like, whoa. Oh. <laughs> and then they played for the Dolphins. You know, he went on to the Dolphins. It's, it's such a shame he didn't play in the modern era because he could have killed um, Jerry Jones's scoreboard, couldn't oh, he? Oh, yes. He was Thunderfoot. Boy, he knocked. I, I couldn't believe it. I was just amazed, man. But it was, it was a privilege to play with a lot of those players, you know. Coach Smith, our coach, you know, he turned a lot of pros because it was a pro system. And he was a pro mentor, you know, he went on to USC after the U of A and won the Rose Bowl and so on. So he was on a pro system. Well, talking about bowl games, um, 
you famously scored a third quarter touchdown in the 1986 Aloha Bowl in Hawaii. 13 yeah. grab to put your team 22 nothing up. Having gone 30 nothing up and kind of coasting, I guess, a little bit, um, they, North Carolina came back with three late scores, but you yeah. held on and you won the Wildcats' first ever bowl game. Exactly. So talk us through your touchdown and, and talk us through kind of that get, getting a massive lead and then it kind of getting clawed back a bit. Well, this was our first bowl win, but a year before that, we went to the Sun Bowl and we tied Georgia. And I think that was the year that Herschel Walker was on the team, as a matter of fact. That was my own. So we tied Georgia. And uh, so you're right. The next year, I'm trying to remember exactly the Aloha Bowl. You know, to be honest with you, Lawrence, about that time in my career, that was my senior year. And what was more important to me, and I know this is going to probably bite me in the end, is that I was getting ready to play in the Hula Bowl that was happening two weeks later, the All-Star Game, the East-West Hula Bowl. I had been picked to go in a hula bowl. And by my senior year, everything I did, I was trying to prepare myself for the NFL. All right, I was, now let me back up. Again, I told you, as a young man, you need a good supporting cast. It takes a village to raise a child, okay? And this is where, what I missed. I didn't have, I had Jabari, but that wasn't enough. I had no supporting cast, and that's the beauty of any time I talk to any young athletes back at home, the main thing I say, you know, a perfect example is LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and these players, they went from high school to the pros and handled that pressure, okay, and didn't succumb to all the negativity that comes around that, all right? More negativity surrounds you when you're in that kind of light, okay, when you're in that level. And so my senior year, it wasn't so important to me, those games, the games that was important was the ones that the NFL scouts were going to look at. I remember it was a crossing route. Uh, it was about a 15-yard crossing route across the middle in the, in the end zone. Oh, no, I caught her on the sideline. Sorry. I ran a deep out, and I caught her on the sideline. Alfred threw me the ball. And you want to hear a little funny story. The quarterback and I, we were called the Jenkins-Horton Connection. His name was Alfred Jenkins. And by our senior year, we had a little ego problem with each other because I was complaining to him that he wasn't throwing me the ball enough. Well, no, no and, wide receiver ever says that, do they? <laughs> <laughs> but I used to irritate him so bad. And I used to irritate it so bad sometimes, Lawrence, that if they would, I would come out for a play for a rest they would, the coach learned that if you send me in with a play, I'm going to change it and it's going to be my play. And I would just face the Reaper the next day in practice because the coach would be making me do a front back goes for 30 minutes because I would change the play. So Alfred, he would take a lot of animosity towards me that I would be in the huddle and I would be interrupting him and saying, no, 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 slot right open 187X. I remember the play. 187X. And you want to know something real quick, Lawrence, everybody want to know. We played our rivalry, Arizona State. Arizona State Sun Devils, big team. We played them four years in a row, and we beat them four years in a row. And we knocked them out of the Rose Bowl two years in a row. 
And those two years, I scored the winning touchdown on a play that I changed. (laughs) So I was, Larry was not happy with me. And now I'm an older player and I'm thinking, how you are so stupid. A 19, 20 year old changing a play, third down and 10, we're down by five. You got 40 seconds to go. And I would take that on. So it, it, you know, so I lost a little bit and I got caught up. And that's what I was saying is I try to tell the young players, man, stay grounded. Stay grounded. Don't be in a hurry. I was in a hurry to get to the pros. And and that was my demise. Because I, I, I remember reading um, Terry Bradshaw's autobiography and, and he starts it off and he ends it with, and did you know I called my own plays? And that's a quarterback. Yeah. And that's a quarterback in the NFL. But, but exactly. a wide receiver in college. Yeah, a wide receiver play. doesn't do that. That's, that's, that's hey, incredible. incredible. And so, they, you know, Coach Smith, he, he would run me to death. But uh, in the end, he would say, if you wouldn't have caught that pass, then what? I said, but it, no, no, I did catch it. And no, it was a touchdown. That's the, you know, so I would all, you know, I had a lot of ego, Lawrence. So finishing college, Mm-hmm. it didn't happen in the NFL and you ended up in, in Canada with the, yeah. the BC Lions. So I know it might be a bit of a sore subject, but kind of what, what happened there to you, John? Again, wasn't supporting, didn't have a supporting cast, but I don't blame that. I blame, take responsibility. I made bad choices. Uh, like I was telling you, my senior year, I started living a little bit too fast. I'm out of, you know, a little bit out of control, making some bad choices. And this happened to be a year in the United States where the year before my, I came out my senior year, a famous basketball player named Len Bias was drafted by the Boston Celtics and died for a drug overdose. Then six months later, a famous football player, Don Rogers from the Cleveland Browns, died. He went to a bachelor party, OD'd, came home and died. So the NFL said, zero tolerance. We cut your head off. You know, it's not what they do now. And that's a good thing. Now they learn, they try to help and educate, you know, instead of just throwing you to the wolves. But I was a part of that. And I came up positive on a year analysis for the combines and it was a zero tolerance. And it was no, it was a one strike, you're out. And my bad choices, I got made an example out of. And it sent me to Canada. You know, they they, kind of told me, go to Canada, get your life straight. If you can still play, come on back. But I went up to Canada, I was mad. Young, mad at the world, saying, you know, I'm, you, you, you bust me and give me the, use me as an example, when I know there was four players that were first round draft choices that were in the same place with me, doing the same things as me, but that's how it goes, all right? And I'm not, I'm not even talking about a skin color, I'm just saying, in, you know, the level you are. I was no superstar. I was not done any of this. I was, you know, somebody that had a potential. In, in and that's what happened. 
can I ask the question then, if that testing hadn't have happened or it would have come out negative, where do you think you would have been drafted? Miami Dolphins to the second round. That I already know. Yeah, I already know. Yeah. They wow. already they, you know, after the combines, and I was in the combines and everything. And then back in those days, the drug testing and all that was a three-month delay. It's not like it is now. You know, it was three months. It was a big laboratory situation. It was new. And so they had already decided. The Dallas Cowboys had called me Gil Brandt. And then my agent, who wound up being my mentor, Jabari, he turned to an agent, and he was representing me. He had the call from Miami. Miami was going to take me in the second round. And they took Scott Swades instead. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Who? <laughs> Who's that? Yeah, exactly. They Who's took that? some guy from some Ivy League school. Yeah. Yep. So the, the, your time, obviously, you, it makes sense now. You, you said you were kind of mad when you, you kind of went to Canada to try and still remain yeah. in football, in the sport of football. But yeah. it ended up you only had three touches of the ball um, during that you know, time. So, again, Lawrence, I went up there with an ego. I felt that it was a demotion. To go to back then, the Canadian League was like a farm league considered, you know, you just went up there. Americans were considered imports playing an American sport and were considered an import. And there's a lot of rules with the imports and they were doing, they've changed it now. But back then, if you played four games in a row of your contract, they are about, they have to pay you for the whole year. So they would play the Americans that were in the middle three games and then sit you for one and then play you for three. And they did it. And all of them did it. The whole Canadian league did it. So I was really, yeah, I was really pissed because you went from uh, a 12,000 Canadian dollars paycheck to a $750 Canadian dollar paycheck. Yeah. You know, this is, but I understand they changed rules. So I had an ego. So I said, no, I'm not doing this. And I went down back to Tucson and I went and played basketball, believe it or not, in Mexico. Yeah, as I was going to say, that is not <laughs> quite a natural progression here, John. You, you're kind of, you, you're going a little bit left field on me now. So <laughs> but listen, what happened was that I always played basketball. I had always played basketball. I was never good enough or I never felt I was good enough to play college. I was a two-sport athlete, but football was the main one that I felt the most confident, of course. Jabari, that's what he did. And this is my knowledge is from him and my strength was coming from him. But, you know, I had decided to hell with Canada. I'm not going to play up here. They're playing this game. And I went to Mexico and played class B professional basketball for a, about eight months. And, and anything to do with the weather? No, man. You know, honestly, my high a guy from high school, he played basketball at the University of Arizona and he got in a little trouble. So he couldn't get into the NBA. It wasn't drugs, but he was known as a, he got into a fight or something at the University of Arizona at a practice and the coach kicked him off the team. So he had a bad attitude. So he went down there and played for like 10 years or however many years in the number one level. And he was a star. Now he was coaching and he came up and he remembered, you know, you still play ball, John? I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, man, you want to go to Mexico? I said, let's go. How much you paying me? And he told me whatever it was. I said, let's go. 
and it was in Mazatlan. It was on the Baja California side. So it was really vacant. It was nice. I lo- I've, but, I've, I've been to Mexico. I, I love Mexico. I love it to bits. Yeah, I just, we would go to cities though. We would play in cities outside of Mexico City. And I mean, very, very, very poor. You know, that was the hard thing for me is so much, uh, you know, poverty around, you know. And I'm riding around with a, with, a, with a chauffeur guy driving us in a Mercedes, you know, and we get out the car and little kids, chicle, chicle, por favor, chicle, buy their gum from them, you know. And I'm thinking, what? You know, I just really didn't feel, it didn't feel right at all. But a beautiful country, wow. Yeah. Beautiful people, yeah. So, yeah, I wound up down there. Okay. Then we've got a little bit of a gap here. Yep. And whether so you in that gap, hold on, in that gap, I went on to back to football. Okay. And I played, but actually what I did is I went back to Canada. And I went to the Calgary Stampeders. And I was there for a week, and me and the head coach, uh, Don Matthews, had a big problem, and he cut me. Nothing to do with you calling your own plays again. <laughs> no, I didn't do it. <laughs> no, man. <laughs> but I, it was just my head was all over the place, Lawrence. I mean, I was lost. You know, I was a young man lost. So I went, you know, I, I went up there to Calgary. I made it a week. They said, you're out of here. I said, the hell with you anyway. You know, this ain't a real team. And then on my way back down to the United States, my quarterback, Alfred, from college said, hey, man, I just saw you got cut. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, listen, man, I'm down here in Pueblo, Colorado. I'm playing on a minor league football team. And the owner asked me to call you and ask you, would you want to play? And I thought, sure. I said, so why don't you all send me a plane ticket? And he's like, uh, no, you get a bus ticket. <laughs> So, yeah, man, I rode the Greyhound bus from from Calgary down to Pueblo, Colorado, like 48 hours, something like that. (laughs) And I go to this with one bag, and I go to this, and Alfred's there in Pueblo, Colorado, and he's like, yeah, this is the system we run. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? So we played this minor league, and this was in... 1990. Yes. So we played in this minor league and then this man named Chet Franklin came to the championship game. And um, we had already heard in the playoffs that there was a league, the World League of American Football was in the makings in the works. But we was like, yeah, right. The NFL has monopolized it. They showed it with the USFL. We had another league in the United States in the 80s that was doing very well. And the NFL said, ah, ah, you can't use our stadiums. And, you got to build your own. Who, who, who was running the USFL? Who owned yeah, it? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> who owned the USFL back then? Yeah, it was um, um, the yeah, guy that was, uh, was against Pete Rozelle. They were... Um, Trump. Mr. Donald Trump. Oh, he, but the USFL. Yes, 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 yes. USFL, the New Jersey Generals. Yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. Yes, he had Doug Flutie, Herschel Walker, all of them. That's right. Yeah, all right. So after that, they, they decided they was going to, they, they talked about a World League. We're in the playoffs. We go to the finals. 
Uh, Alfred and I do real well. We win the finals. I score two or three touchdowns. He's MVP, you know, really well. And these good two guys, Chet Franklin, and I can't remember the other man, said, hey, we're from the World League of American Football. Would you be willing to come to a camp? We want players like yourself in our league. They were at the game. Huh? They were at the game. Yeah, yeah. The game was the game was in Pueblo, Colorado. They came to the championship. And uh, we was like, hell yeah, what do we got to do? Well, you got to find your own way down to Orlando on this date. So I don't know if you remember Ricky Williams, the linebacker. <laughs> he was on the team with me in Pueblo, Colorado. He was also on the team. Ricky Williams and I... Ricky Williams and I borrowed his girlfriend's samurai and drove from Pueblo, Colorado, all the way down to San Antonio, Texas. We arrived at four in the morning, something like that. We slept in a samurai. We woke up at seven. We showed up at Alamo Stadium. We put our cleats on. And within two hours, they offered me a contract. And that's how I got two in the world league. Yeah. So I was making the right decisions. I get to the World League. Then Larry Kennan is the head coach of the London Monarchs. By this time, we're in Orlando. And they're saying Coach Kennan and a few other uh, Coach Jackson, Hugh Jackson. All right. He was in their receiver. He came to me and said, look, man, we're going to draft you. We really like your style. We really like the way you coach Kennan. You know, he's from the Oakland Raiders. He's going to be our head coach. So I was really impressed at NFL coach. And they drafted me in the second round. And and so, obviously, you had time to kind of conceptualize the World League and that you could be going somewhere else in the world, as in not, not in North America. Um, you know, when, it, yeah. when it came to, to pass that you were drafted by the London Monarchs, what what kind of was going through your head? Were you excited? Were you nervous? What And, and had you been to... Europe before that date? Um, no, I hadn't been to Europe, but if you remember my story, I've been to Canada and to Mexico. So we talked before we got into all this, you know, I always felt and knew that I needed to leave the United States. I always felt an unrest inside me about the United States and how people, and I'm talking all people are treated who are not white, not just black, brown, yellow, red, everybody, Native Americans to Hispanics to blacks to, I don't care if you're not white American, it's different. And I've always felt that, I've always known that, and it, okay, if that's the way the United States, I felt, okay. If that's the way you want to be, that's your choice. I don't have to stay in this. So, I always felt that American football could, would be an opportunity for me to get out. And so when I got that contract to Canada, I didn't want to come back. They cut me. So that's why I didn't come back. I went and played Mexico, you know, basketball. I didn't want to be in the United States anymore. And then I got a contract back up to Canada. Then I came into the United States. I felt trapped. Then I had an opportunity with the World League. I thought, man, I would love to be on either Barcelona, London, or Frankfurt, all right? I would love to be on these teams. And God, Buddha, Allah, whatever, put that in front of me. So when I was drafted by the London Monarchs, I did an interview that day. Somebody on the radio with that British accent, I knew immediately, I'm gonna love this. 
<laughs> you know, I said, I'm, I can't wait to get over there. And I, you know, I've been here since 1991, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been over to Europe since. Obviously, you you were destined to kind of come over here, but what what were some of those culture shocks to start off with? What what were some oh, of the things yeah, that you yeah, were yeah, like? Yeah. Whoa. First of all, your guys' language, you know, your English, your proper English, would just really, it's you know, I have two daughters who live in London now, so <clears throat> it's funny when we talk. I still. I still like that. I like that English, the English accent. The one thing that really blew my mind is you guys drive on a different side of the road. So that, <laughs> that was the thing that really blew my mind. And, and the fact that, boy, it's almost like you're in a go-kart when you drive in England because you guys, your roads are like this. You know, in America, we're grid. We're north, south, east, west. In England, they say, yeah, go to the top of the road. What? What do you mean the top of the road? <laughs> you mean to the east? I don't know, mate, but to the top. And I thought, man, I'm so into the grid. And there was a couple things. Uh, had to have the fish and chips. For a little while, I thought, hell yeah, I like these. I like these. But I really started feeling my stomach saying, John, <laughs> this is a lot of fat. <laughs> yeah, you can't be doing that every Friday night. No, 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 no. Oh, man. You know, you know, I married there as well. I got married in Hammersmith. I met a lady from uh, British Airways. Got married, had two children, like I was just mentioning. So, I mean, I really liked London, man. I really did. Ah, that's really, really good to hear. So, um... I didn't realize it at the time when I was when I was a fan back in the day, but it must have been really comforting for you to hook back up with a fellow Wildcat when you were reunited with linebacker Danny Lockett. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, I was also lucky that I had Ricky Williams. Remember, I mentioned him. We were on that minor league team together for a whole season and we lived together. As a matter of fact, Ricky Williams and I did for about three months. And so the fact that I had Ricky, uh, Danny Lockett and I, Danny was a defensive player. Of course, that's my buddy. And, you know, we was in college together. He came from a junior college. So we only had two years together. He's a great player, Oof, a beast. But I had a more of a connection with Ricky Williams. Okay, it was great. Me and D-Lock, you know, U of A Wildcats. But he wasn't a four-year Wildcat. He came in as a junior college player and just tore the Pac-10 up for two years and left. Fair enough. Now, this is, this is totally self-indulgent, but the, one of the most bizarrest things that's happened in my life is back in 1991, me and a bunch of friends and my girlfriend at the time, we all, we all came down to try and kind of find you to do some autograph hunting in, in your hotel. And um, my, my girlfriend and I got split up and she went out, up in a lift and um, Danny Lockett ended up stealing a kiss offer in the lift. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. what's going on? So that, be was, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you remember him as a bit of a ladies' man, but, you know, that, that to me was just one of the bizarrest things that happened in my young life. D Lockett is, a, is, is D Lockett, man. I mean, he is Danny Lockett. I mean, he's a great athlete, a great... You know, he's just a different guy. He's a different kind type of guy. 
fair play. Fair play. Oh, Definitely. But, but I never heard of that. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he would remember it, to be fair. Hey, um, but you know, wait a minute. If, if it's in a hotel, we were, we lived in Surrey, out in Surrey at the American University. So if it was in a hotel, it must have been a game or something been, that we happened my, to be. I think it was the day before a game because we came down. Yeah. I think it was yes. the, the yeah. day before a game. That makes sense. And I think Coach, Coach Kennedy we did that. Yeah, yeah. It had to be that. Okay. That yeah. Join us shortly for part two of NFL Fan in England talking to John Horton. <laughs>